Happy Friday. It is Brett Craig from The Big Picture. This week, I wanted to talk about and discuss the Nashville shootings, uh, which hit really close to home here since I live in the greater Nashville area. And I want to talk specifically about what the Christian response should be to these shootings. Uh, and I've been processing this this uh, tragedy. I've been slow to speak on it. I think you know it's, it was Monday. It's Friday. Um, I've been listening to various voices and punditry out there. Uh, it's been all over the news. I think the whole country heard about this, and I've been kind of gathering my thoughts. And we still don't have the manifesto from the killer, uh, and I'm sure more details are going to emerge. But this is a actually an image of all six of the victims. I'm going to put that up right now. Here are all six of the victims. And this is the first victim that is going to be laid to rest today. Nine-year-old Evelyn Diakhaus. I think that's how you say her last name. Um, A nine-year-old whose family has asked that everyone wear pink and green to the funeral service today. And it's the first of six funerals Um, The dad, uh, the family said, our hearts are completely broken. We cannot believe this has happened. Evelyn was a shining light in this world. Here's another photo of Haley Scruggs uh, standing with her dad, who is the pastor and her whole family. She's a nine-year-old as well, and her funeral is going to be tomorrow. Uh, Little Haley there. uh, Her dad, again, was the pastor, Chad Scruggs, who was actually counseling the shooter. So the shooter targeted the pastor's daughter presumably, although we don't know for sure. And there's just, as I was putting this together, man, it's, it's like hard to not lose it. There's so much tragedy here, so much to say about this. And I'm sure we will continue to be talking about this tragic story. And I've been thinking a lot as I've just been absorbing this all week, what is the proper Christian response to the shootings in Nashville? And I have, again, struggled to speak about this whole thing because it's a tense subject. Uh, I think, first of all, obviously, I think for all the elements that are in it, we can all take a guess as to what all those things are. But, And I, I guess I just wanted to step back and be as thoughtful as possible and not add to the rancor and the escalation of chaotic rhetoric that is already filling social media and the political world. And we just hear this rancor. Uh, an enmity growing, uh, pitting trans people versus the Christian community. Uh, and so today as I talk, I feel like I, could, I have a chance of angering just about everybody here. Uh, and, and what I'm about to say, I think, could anger you. It could disappoint people. And, and, and if I'm comforted in anything, it, it's that Jesus seemed to challenge everybody with his commands. And he did that enough so that he managed to make everyone angry at him over time. So as we talk about this Nashville shooting, it might frustrate you. It might make you uncomfortable, what I'm about to say. But he, Jesus challenges our assumptions, assumptions about ourselves, uh, assumptions about others. And he challenges our fleshly responses that come so naturally to us when we're confronted with the world around us. And he calls people, and he calls Christians specifically, right, to respond to the world in situations, injustice, hatred, uh, the things that we encounter, he asks us to handle those things in very counterintuitive ways, ways that we, our flesh does not like. 
Uh, it's, we don't want to respond to the Nashville shootings the way Jesus would re- respond to them. And I've been thinking about that because I happen to be studying this text in Luke, which is, in my opinion, Luke 6, is the hardest command of all from Jesus. I think it's the hardest one, if we're honest. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And I'm studying this in a group. We're going through the Bible, and it just so happens this is the text I'm studying the same week when a transgender individual walks into a Christian school up the road here, the Covenant School here in Nashville, and slaughters six Christians, three little uh, children, and three adults. And it would seem from all the evidence that the targeting of Christians here was intentional. More evidence is going to emerge. Uh, Apparently there is a uh, manifesto that they haven't released yet, but more evidence will emerge. But that seems fairly clear. I mean, from what we can tell. Uh, But then to add insult to injury, and I'm I'm building up (laughs) what's been done, and just stay with me here, to get to Jesus's response, uh, what, what his response to these kinds of things was. Um, But then to add insult to injury with this whole thing, the media response to this clearly wants to downplay the transgender identity of the murderer um, and dial up the narrative that the individual's murderous acts were really kind of a response to Christian intolerance. That seems to be the, the narrative from the media. The individual grew up in a Christian family, attended this school, was being counseled by the pastor whose six-year-old daughter was one of the victims, as I said. Um, But the point is, it feels like Christians are being somehow blamed for this tragedy, right? Rather than what we should expect, which is their loss being mourned by the the media, not that they would be blamed for it. And now, in no other case I can think of, you know, right now in the culture, for instance, if there were uh, some uh, folks in the trans community that were shot, or uh, let's say a, a folks in the Muslim community or Jewish people that were shot, people of color unjustly targeted today, right? We would never, ever, ever blame the victims. But in this case, it feels a lot like victim shaming and blaming after what was a horrible slaughter of Christians, right? That hits so close to my home too. So it it hits close to me uh, because I, I live here, of course, and because I'm a Christian. And it seems to be the message is a little bit from the media, maybe not totally, but a bit. It's your fault seems to be the message to the Christians. It's it's who you are that created this situation with this individual. And so we're going to listen uh, here real quickly just to show you kind of proof of that to White House Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, I think that's how you say her name, just three days after the slaughter um, of six Christians in Nashville. Here's what the White House press secretary had to say. And so it is shameful, it is disturbing, and uh, our hearts go out to uh, the, those, the trans community as they are under attack right now. But So for, for some greater context here, the White House press secretary was talking to the press on National Transgender Gender Day of Visibility that happened to be on Thursday. So there's a national day where they're celebrating transgender visibility, and that happened to be Thursday, uh, which timing-wise couldn't be more ironic uh, when, frankly, the visibility should be on the attacks on Christians that just happened. Uh, Instead, the White House press secretary talks about uh, how trans people are the ones under attack, we hear her say. I mean, could it be any more ironic to say that three days after this attack by a transgender person on Christians? 
And at the same time, uh, she's silent on the Christians that were murdered, three little uh, nine-year-olds and I believe nine and three adults this week. And it was not even worth a mention. Um, and again, it was a National Transgender Day of Visibility, so you could argue that um, she wasn't there to talk about the attacks. But it's just the irony of it. Uh, it was, was just hard to, to hear that, um, that transgender folks are under attack, which might be obviously People in the transgender community believe that, but on the heels of an attack on Christians by a transgender individual, it felt callous and it feels like salt being rubbed into the wounds of the Christian community, right, of Christians. And here's another article, just because I want to show that this is happening, because you're not, you aren't, uh, you're being gaslit on this a little bit. And here's another article that focuses on Christians as the perpetrator in the Nashville shooting narrative um, so, or the situation. So that seems to be what's being suggested here. This is a Daily Mail U.S. headline. Nashville mass shooter was rejected by her Christian parents. It says trans outcast real big on the bottom there. Uh, and so this article per- portrays the perpetrator as the victim here, saying her parents rejected her. But of course, she lived with her parents at the time of the murder. So that doesn't seem like the rejection that they're claiming. Uh, it seems a little bit more like parents disagreeing with their daughter's choices. Again, I don't know the details of all that, which is something that happens every day in every household millions of times across the country every day. Parents disagreeing with their kids' choices. And and, and of course, so that that looks like what's happening here, not outright rejection or she wouldn't even be living with her parents, I don't, I don't think. Um, it doesn't mean she didn't feel like she was rejected, by the way. Um, but in any case, it feels like the media has flipped over the, or flipped this whole story on its head to be one in which Christians are the perpetrators and the murderer is the victim. And that article, by the way, appears one day after the slaughter of six Christians. Uh, again, like I said, three nine-year-olds and three adults. So just that article comes out the next day. Again, just feels tone deaf. It feels like rubbing salt in the wounds. And remember, we are in, and here's the other piece that is the irony of this and sort of the contradictory nature of that is we're in this period in which the media and the culture never stops telling us that what we we have to watch out for is intolerance and hate. Intolerance and hate. We must be on the lookout for intolerance and hate. It's everywhere. And frankly, it's coming from those white Christian nationalists Uh, But in this case, it actually comes, in this specific case, I'm not blaming the trans community as a whole, I'm saying in this case, it comes from a trans person, and it's a textbook case of both intolerance and hate. But it's not acknowledged by the media as such, or the White House, except to say that we need gun control. That's obviously the left's uh, consistent cry, is gun control. But suddenly, hate and intolerance are seemingly not something the left cares to talk about here because the victims are Christian and the perpetrator is trans. And that narrative just doesn't fit their objectives, right? That's not the narrative they want. On Trans Visibility Day on Thursday, uh, the narrative is trans people are under attack. And unfortunately, though, this week, it was Christians under attack by a a member of the trans community. And again, I'm not blaming the entire trans community. So the contradictions here are kind of endless. They're frustrating. They're egregious. It's it's frankly disgusting, in in my opinion, and sad. Uh, and, and, And also, I guess, just would say unjust beyond words. If you're a Christian, uh, you would be feeling those things right now. I know I'm feeling those things right now. And all of this, I think, and this is what's taken me a long time to respond, all of this could lead to a response of 
anger, right? What do we want to do? What does our flesh say? Even vengeance, that it would be totally understandable, by the way, and, and, and it is understandable to feel that way. This is the natural fleshly response. I'm not saying that those are proper responses. I'm saying that is what our flesh wants us to do. And this is where Jesus enters into the picture with a command that we are not going to like. We're not going to like it. And this is why I mentioned up front that Jesus made everyone angry at him with his counterintuitive instructions and commands on how we are to live and move in this world. So much so that he frustrated people. I say this all the time. Everybody wanted him dead by the end of his three-year ministry. That's all it was is three years. The Romans wanted him dead, right? Uh, the, the people wanted him dead and the religious leaders. Those are the three components, uh, three forces at work in the culture. They all wanted Jesus dead and they killed him because what he said offended them. It offended them. And so as we as we talk through this, I think there's a chance I'm going to offend you right now on any side of this issue. Uh, so my response, again, my response is my fleshly desire is anger, frustration, and vengeance. And let me be clear, all of those feelings are human and they're totally understandable. But into this situation enters Jesus, right? In this, I'm going to talk about something from uh, some text from the Sermon on the Plateau or the Sermon on the Mount, as is more commonly referred to. Uh, and this sermon is Jesus's pièce de résistance of all his sermons, right? He drops some hard truths on the crowd that has gathered. And what he has to say is not merely an affirmation of the Old Testament and the law, but Jesus is going to raise the bar because he's not after outward conformity, right? Which is what religion's about. We're all going to kind of conform to a set of rules and kind of white knuckle our way through our religion and try to outward have an outward conformity to the law. Uh, Jesus is not after that. He's not after religion or he's not into that. He's after our hearts, right? So he is basically saying to the crowd, you know all these commandments, right? They've been around from the beginning, the 10 commandments. But I'm telling you right now, the standard is even higher than you think. It's higher than those commandments. You, you, you say you haven't committed murder? Great. But if you hate your neighbor, you've committed murder in your heart, he says. Imagine being told that. Um, you know, like I haven't committed. We all think that, right? I haven't committed murder. But have you hated someone? Jesus says you're guilty of murder. If you hate your neighbor, you have committed murder, he says. You say you haven't committed adultery? Great, Jesus says to the crowd. Awesome. You haven't lusted after, um, you haven't, sorry, committed adultery, but you have lusted after a woman, then you've already committed uh, adultery in your heart. This is a high standard, you, you know, he says here. And so why, why does Jesus say that? And I'm just giving you a little context as we jump back into this tough command of love your enemies. Why does Jesus say this to the crowd? Because Jesus isn't after outward conformity to God. You know, he's not looking for outward. Yes, our outward actions will begin to conform to God. Uh, but the, the change he's looking for is our heart. An inward transformation. And he's calling anyone who would follow him to be transformed on the inside so that they would live in a totally counterintuitive way to the world. When the world would look at us, the outside, right? There would be, it would be so counterintuitive and so bizarre when you engage a Christian uh, like it would be like engaging Jesus, uh, just not the response that I'd ex uh, expect. It's not what I expect from people. That is what Jesus is calling us uh, to be in the world, uh, to have a counterintuitive response to the culture, to move through the world in ways that people can't explain unless 
It's God at play and at work in our heart. So in the case of the Nashville shooting, our natural response, again, is to revile back, to hate back. That is what our flesh tells us. And yet here comes Jesus with an instruction that is so hard for us, love your enemies. And by the way, it's so hard for us uh, to accept this. that he, I think Jesus knows that because you look at the way that his words here say, uh, this is what he says as a caveat. He opens with on this text on loving your enemies and gives a set of uh, commands of what it looks like to love your enemies. Uh, he starts with this caveat in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount. He says this. Now, remember, he's been speaking for a while and he's already raising the bar on, on adultery. He's raising the bar on, on murder. If you even hated your brother, then you were guilty of murder. And so Jesus then raises the bar here on love, not just loving people that love us, but love your enemies. Uh, and what I think Jesus is saying here, because what he's about to say is, if I haven't lost you yet and you're still listening right? Because you're probably offended by now. Get ready for what I'm about to tell you next. So verse 27, Luke 6, 27, he says, but to you who are listening, that's why I just love that caveat because it made me stop when I was reading it this week. Who's listening here? Because what I've already said might've already, (laughs) might've already warded you, kind of waved you off the plate. You don't want, you may not want to follow me now, but if you're listening, I say, love your enemies. Then Jesus goes on to say what it means. Here's what he says. It means to love your enemies. Not just love them in some kind of uh, ethereal way. He, it's an action. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Now, that final verse, do to others as you would have them do to you, we call that the golden rule, right? We all know it. It's all through the society. Most people don't even know where the golden rule comes from, but that's Jesus. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But Jesus here is not merely saying be nice to others since you would like people to be nice to you. On the heels of what I just, what he just said, He's saying here on the, on the back of love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who mistreat you. What he's saying here is he's saying show mercy to your enemies because that's what all those actions do, right? If I love my enemies, I bless those who curse me. If I do good to people that hate me uh, or pray for those that mistreat me, I'm showing mercy to my enemies. Uh, I'm praying for them. I'm doing good to them. I'm blessing them, not because they deserve it, right? That's what mercy is. I don't deserve it, but I'm getting this back from God, let's say, or, uh, but because that's what I would want done to me. I would want someone to do that to me. I would want someone to show me mercy. You would want mercy done to you. That's the context of where do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's really what it means to show mercy actually to your enemies because you would want mercy done to you. And by the way, I'm not suggesting, because I want to be clear, that justice isn't done. It must be done. It is good that uh, this individual is stopped. Uh, It is good uh, that justice be done. I am suggesting that the full uh, extent of the law should be applied here, of course, uh, and it must be. But I am suggesting also that the Christian response could easily become one of ratcheting up the rhetoric and hatred for the trans community, right, when Jesus just won't have it. He will not 
have it. We, we are not called to ratchet up the rhetoric and begin the bellicose words back to the trans community. That is not what he, he, he will allow. In fact, he demands the opposite. He actually says, love your enemy. And that seems somewhat doable, right? Until we meet our enemy and they are cursing us, blaming us, reviling us, and even killing us this week in Nashville. And this is why the Jesus's command is so hard. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, look, if you don't do this, right? If you just love those who love you, well, you're just like everyone else. We all love people that love us, right? And if you think about yourself, I mean, that's true, right? I, I have no trouble loving people who love me. I have no trouble blessing those who lo- bless me. We all do that. You know, we all bless who blesses us, but the Christian's not called to that standard, which is the standard that all people observe in the world, right? Unless they're just horrible jerks, Jesus calls us to a higher standard as he's done on the Sermon on the Mount. Love those who hate you. Love your enemies. Here's what uh, also the disciple Peter said about Jesus and his enemies. Listen to what he said, 1 Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus did not return hate. He did not make threats, but instead he entrusted himself to the father who judges justly, right? I'm going to leave it to my father. And and we're required to do the same thing. God is the one who um, is going to judge justly. I got to trust that he's going to do that. And so the point of all this, I think, and just backing up a little bit, is that we are living in an increasingly hostile society towards Christians, right? It's going to get more hostile towards Christians. There's just no doubt that that's what's happening. We can feel it in the rhetoric. We can see it starting to happen. Uh, the, the culture has decided that Christians are the enemy. We're the cause of all ills in society. Uh, and they are going to find even ways to blame us for our own slaughter, as just happened this week. And yet Jesus says, into that, he says, love your enemies. Bless them, do good for them, pray for them. No wonder many people, when Jesus was done preaching, uh, would just walk away from him, right? There's just so many interactions with Jesus where people just bail when he's done talking because what he says, our flesh wants nothing to do with that. We want revenge. We want to ratchet up the rhetoric. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to here, I don't believe. Not, I don't mean on the day. Of course, we use force to stop evil. Of course, we should. But I'm talking about how would Jesus respond now uh, as the rhetoric continues to get dialed up, as the narrative is blame the Christians for their own uh, slaughter, uh, how would Jesus respond? And when he was reviled, Peter says he did not revile in return. So what is the Christian response to the Nashville shootings? And what is the Christian's response to an increasingly hostile society? I'm not going to gaslight you and pretend it's not happening. It is a society that seems to hate Christians simply for existing, a society that is increasingly blaming Christians for almost every societal ill. What is the Christian's response? To love back, to pray for our enemies, to ratchet down the bellicose rhetoric and show the world a counterintuitive response to a murderous act of terror perpetrated against Christians. That is what actually Jesus is calling to. And if we do that, by the way, because Jesus goes on to say in that text, and if we do that, who will we be like 
Listen to what Jesus says next. Jesus closes this love your enemies command and accompanying description of what it looks like to love your enemies in the text in Luke with this. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Talking about God. God is unkind to the, uh, he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So Jesus is essentially saying, you'll be most like God when you love your enemies. We're most like God, most like Jesus when we love our enemies, right? Because that's how Jesus was. Yes, he was courageous. Yes, he spoke truth to power. We should do that. Yes, he took a cord to the money changers in the temple. But he also said we must love our enemies. We must be kind to those who are ungrateful in the in the evil. And and by the way, who are the ungrateful in the evil? Who are they? Because I, I think we even read this wrong. And we were talking about this in our Bible study group this morning. Who are the ungrateful in the evil? And Jesus is talking about you and he's talking about me. That's who the ungrateful and the evil are. We are the ungrateful and and evil. We were his enemy before he chose us. We were at war with God before he saved us. And yet God died for us when we were yet sinners. When we were still enemies of God, that's when he died for us. That's what Apostle Paul says. So this is why. Right, so we're the we're the ungrateful and the evil. We need to see ourselves that way. That Jesus did that for us. That's why we're supposed to do it for other people, right? And all of this is why I say, when we really think about all this, um, I think loving our enemies might be the hardest command of Jesus, uh, but it might be the highest command besides loving God, which is the first command with all our heart, soul, and mind. And here's a little backup for being one of the most important commands after loving God. It is the last act we see Jesus do. This is the last, is loving his enemies. That's the last thing we see Jesus do. That's how important it is to God. He's naked. He's been deserted. He's been canceled by the, by the culture, the society. He's tortured on a cross, the most horrible torture process uh, imaginable. His disciples have deserted him. Pontius Pilate is mocking him with the king of the Jews sign over his head and a crown of thorns, which is mocking him, and a purple robe placed on him, which is to mock him. The Roman soldiers are gambling for that robe. They are, the people are blaspheming, the text says. They're hitting him in his trial, spitting on him, and yet he did nothing wrong, or he did nothing wrong, and it was a scandal. He didn't deserve any of it, and yet what does Jesus say? What is his last act? He prays for his enemies. Like I, I still, to this day, when I think about that scene, you're dying on a cross. You came to save people, to serve people, to love people. That's all you ever did. Never did anything wrong. And this is where you end up. And what does Jesus say in the middle of this? Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. It's the last act of Jesus before he commits his spirit to his father and gives up his spirit is to ask for our forgiveness. He forgave his enemies. He's demonstrating for that, that for us as he exits this world. It's his last act. Uh, after the Nashville shootings, uh, just backing up again, and the way that it's been handled, the temptation is to hate. But uh, 
Jesus said again, we have to pray for our enemies. The Christian response then to the Nashville shootings is to love our enemies. But not merely love is some esoteric, ethereal notion, some feeling, but that, but the love that Jesus is talking about is that we do good to the trans community. That doesn't mean affirming everything, by the way. We can't do that. We're Christians, so we have to speak the truth in love. We can't move off of uh, God's point of view. and uh, We must affirm God's point of view on sexuality and gender, uh, but we must love the trans community. This is what I mean by like, that's a hard thing to think about right now when all this is happening, when all this rhetoric's being dialed up even after the Nashville shootings and whatever might come next, that's the command to Christians. So what would love look like then? Because I think love is an action, right? Uh, So what would love look like then for the trans community? And I think one step would be to pray for those in the trans community. That's something, because you you don't live in Nashville or maybe you don't know anybody uh, that happens to be in that community, but that's something you can do as a Christian. Why? Uh, Because Jesus commanded that you do it. And of course, praying for the families and victims first and foremost, and, and that should be the focus. But at some point, Christian, the Christian response, you know, kind of as a body must be that we pray for a community uh, that is uh, blinded, is angry, confused, and is lashing out. Uh, and, and we have to have love for that community. So what do we pray uh, just another question as we think about what to pray for them, that God would show them the same kindness he showed us because he forgave us, right? We're just, we're just sinners like everybody else. And so, um, and we're ungrateful and we're evil. So it's not other people that are, it's us. We are. So God loved us when we didn't even acknowledge him, when we spit on him in the way that we acted in our life, when we reviled and hated him and we moved through the world without any acknowledgement of him, right? Of all that he gave us, uh, that he created us, we didn't serve him. We basically uh, just turned our back on him and reviled him, ran his name through the gutter. I know I did that in my life, didn't show any acknowledgement to him, yet he loved us so much that he was willing to give his life for us. So we pray for them. Uh, because the people that reject God are just like the way we were before, before we, we were chosen uh, and our eyes were open. So what if the, this is my challenge, I guess, to, to wrap up here. What if the Christian community honored Jesus's command to love our enemies as a body of believers and simply prayed for the trans community? What might God do with that, with that obedience, right? Uh, rather than just getting angry and entrenching and, and into our positions and, and, and not uh, loving our neighbor uh, and even loving those that seem to revile us. What if we actually prayed as a body of believers? What would God do with that obedience? So I'm going to do that and, and I'm going to pray that you'll do that. And I think if we do do that, what does Jesus say? Well, then that's when you will be like the sons of the most high because that's how I am, Jesus is saying. That's how God is. And I think if we dial down the bellicose rhetoric, right? Trans community versus Christians and show that Christians do not threaten when they're threatened and they don't return violence for violence. I mean, we really need to pray that that does not happen, right? That somebody goes and commits violence in the name of God because that is not what Jesus would do. But instead, Jesus would love those who hate us, right? love others, right? No matter how they're treating us, it's not contingent on their behavior. It's, it's contingent on the command from uh, the master, from, from the one we serve. So 
And that is all the more challenging in an increasingly hostile society towards Christians. This is going to be an incredibly challenging command for Christians in America going forward. But Jesus is not really asking. He's actually commanding that we love our enemies. So my prayer is that we'll do that. Thank you for joining me today. I wanted to offer some thoughts on this and go right to what Jesus has to say about uh, these issues and and encourage you uh, in a time uh, when you're, if you're a Christian especially, you might be feeling a little bit like you're living in a country that doesn't like you. Uh, but that, but our response can't be to return that vitriol and hatred and revilement with more revilement coming back the other day. Let's pray for our enemies and let's pray for peace in this country and that we don't keep dialing this thing up into some greater conflict uh, because that's not what Jesus would want. Thank you for joining me uh, on The Big Picture with Brett Craig and I will see you guys soon.